Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for <coughs> the fact that your precepts guide us, your law informs us that you have given us your word to uh, equip us to serve you. Lord, we pray this morning that as I look at this passage with these people here, that we together would be reminded of the truth, be corrected in our thinking, and be helped to serve you more. Help us, Lord, by your Spirit to really understand what you're telling us, and Lord, apply it to our hearts so that it isn't just like a man looking in a mirror and then walking away with his hair just as messy, but Lord, it's like us looking in the mirror of the Word and being transformed into your likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So be with us, Lord, we pray. Amen. If you look at the world around you, you might go, oh, look, yeah, yeah, those people they're talking about in there, lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, I mean, they're all out there, aren't they? I've got some bad news for you. This is talking about people inside churches. It actually says they have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. A long time ago, I went to a church. It's the same church I'm going to now, but they've, they've modernised a little bit. And my friend described this church back in the 80s as being a bit like a Laura Ashley convention. Everybody dressed in very nice dresses. Sorry, the ladies dressed in very nice dresses. Um, and several of the home group leaders and others tended to bring around a, a, little, a little briefcase. Okay, now I was complete rebel. I used to bring a carrier bag, sorry. And if you notice, I've only gone as far as a rucksack so far. But there was one lad who, who, who recently started coming, and he... He turned up with this very impressive-looking briefcase with the combination locks and so on, and the pastor said to him, that's a really nice briefcase. What have you got in it? Oh, my lunch. So what he was doing was he was imitating some people that he admired, these home group leaders and, and elders and deacons and so forth, but he actually hadn't got a clue. Most of them had got in it their file of facts, because it was the 80s, remember, their Bible, their notes... Stuff like that. So basically it meant that if they needed to do, you know, they'd, they'd get stuff out. Now these days, of course, you don't need any of that stuff because it's all on your phone, even your Bible, isn't it, if you want it. I can also make my Bible large print on the phone, which can be useful at times. But it's imitation. It's not real. And there is a huge danger that we become either the people that are described there or we become the new Pharisees. The Pharisees were an interesting bunch because originally the Pharisees came out of a revival of interest in living life properly and honouring God. But the problem with them was that they missed something very, very important. Now, what it says further on in, in chapter 3 is they're the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women, uh, which does not mean all women are gullible. It just means the gullible women, if you like. So there are other types of women um, who are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. They're not really sure what they want. Always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. There are people around, 
and I've met a few in my time, who can quote scripture in obscure places that I can't remember without looking up. And, and yet, they're just missing something important. And then you get these two guys, Janis and Jambres, who, according to some of the Jewish texts that are not in the scripture, they're the names of the magicians who, in Egypt, tried to imitate the miracles that Moses and Aaron produced before Pharaoh. And they managed to do a couple of them. But, of course, by the time you got to the end of it, they, they were way out of their league. But as they opposed Moses, in other words, made it look like they could do the same stuff, oh, we could do that too, um, they opposed the truth. Now, I'll give you one example of where this might be happening in the world at the moment. The, um, the well-known president, Donald Trump, has somebody attached to him who is a pastor, but she's actually part of the prosperity gospel. So if you give things to God, you get back riches and whatever in this world. Well, you could imagine that would appeal to Donald um, because he's very into property and stuff like that. But it isn't reality. It isn't what really is going on. The other possibility that a lot of people have is if I do the right things, I can earn God's approval, or at least I can earn man's approval, or at least I can make myself feel a little bit less bad. Now, contrast that with what Paul says about himself and Timothy's uh, relatives and what Timothy has learned. He says this, You know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, my persecutions, my sufferings. Or as Jesus would put it, you can know a tree by its fruit. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured? That's an interesting test, isn't it? Would you stand by what you believe if people start putting you under pressure to back away from it? In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So live with the truth and take the pressure of doing that or be one of those peoples who is deceived and being deceived. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you've learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you learnt it and how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You know those from whom you've learnt it. In his case, he had a godly mother and grandmother who taught him the Scriptures from a very early age. And one of our duties, of course is to live the life, even though we won't be perfect at it, as we tell our children and others about the Lord, because they're going to look at what we like, not just at everything else. It's like, and I don't want to get into politics, but it was interesting to note that in some of the recent debates on television, certain politicians from most of the parties would open their mouth and say something, <coughs> And the audience laughed at them. 
you know, I mean, they literally went, yeah, right. Why? Because they're looking at these people and thinking, well, you're saying that, but you've done that. So in the end, people are seen through. It's the same as Janice and Jambres was. But here's the risk. We read Psalm 118. How can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young person keep his way pure? By living according to your word. Great advice. But not enough. Not on its own. And if you read that psalm, you keep reading the fact that the person who is writing the psalm needs mercy from God. But here's how it goes. You have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise. Okay, well, let's start off with this. I was asked to preach John chapter 8, the first part, which is in italics in this Bible, and it's in italics in this Bible at a church recently. And the children's talk was done by somebody else who basically said, you could ignore the fact that it's in italics, it's not going to be a problem. And I was sitting there thinking, I can imagine these kids are going, yeah, but... But why is that bit in italics? And, and how can I trust the Bible? So, with a little bit of help from other sources, because you, you, there are other people who've obviously researched it more, I went through a little bit of what the Bible is. So let's just, let's just get this straight. The Old Testament was translated into Greek in something called the Septuagint 300 years before Christ was born. And it was translated into Greek and spread across the known world because a man called Alexander the Great had conquered all the way to India. So the Old Testament, Isaiah, the five first books of the Bible, Genesis and so forth, they had been there, spread out, but translated into Greek, which was a bit like English is nowadays. It's one of the world languages that a lot of people know. If you, if, you, if, you, if you speak English and Spanish, you can probably talk to almost anybody in the world except a few of the Chinese. And a lot of them have learned English, so you're okay there. But if you imagine that that had gone out before, there's no way anybody could have changed it to fit what Christians claim about Jesus. So when you read the Old Testament, you sometimes read, Septuagint translated it as this. But they've also got a lot of Hebrew and other manuscripts because the Jews were very, very careful to preserve their scriptures. The New Testament is quite interesting because when you ask questions about, well, why don't they think that particular thing should have been there in that particular place? It's because we have got thousands of copies or bits of the Bible. And in some cases, what we've got are things like, um, they call them lectionaries. Do you know what a lectionary is? Anybody here been in the Church of England ever? They have a thing where they, they read the scriptures of the, of the week. There's a particular scripture for each Sunday. So they, they split it up and they, they've like put it into the lectionary so that somebody can literally stand up and it's all built into the book. You don't have to open the Bible because the bit from the Bible is printed on that page. Yeah? And there are those. There are also the talks given, recorded, by the early church fathers, where they preached on various passages of the scripture. And there are also what are called uncials, which are the capital versions, written in capital letters, and the other versions, which are written in lowercase. 
And it turns out that there are like 7,000 manuscripts going right back. Compared to Julius Caesar's Gallic Wars, where there were four, and the oldest of them was 900 years after he invaded. So you think, okay. But when you've got that many texts, you can look at them and you can compare. And so if somebody has, you know, accidentally missed a letter out of a word or something and copying it, it's going to be a mistake in one, and you're going to have 99 that say, no, that's fine. So when you put together the knowledge we have of the scriptures based on what people have, you find that there are just one or two places where some scholars would say, we're not absolutely sure that should be there in one or two cases because it's there somewhere else in the other. And if it had got copied off a lectionary, it could have got put back in the wrong place, even though it's valid. But also, the good news is that 99% of it, they all agree on. And if you look at the bits they don't, they're not sure about, if you crossed them out and left them out, we wouldn't miss anything. There would be no truth missing, which is absolutely amazing. Almost anything. I mean, I, I deal with maths books, and there were three maths books, the same book. It was uh, Further Mechanics 1, I think it was. Sorry, Pearson, if you're listening. And my, these three lads, they had different versions of the question or different versions of the answer in all three books. And by the third one, they got the question to match the answer in the back of the book. And that's just one publisher. And yet, actually, if you looked at the three books, you could work it out. You could work out what they meant to ask and what the, what the answer was in the back of the book because you had more than one version out there. But these guys, I mean, maths books, to be honest, are probably typed up by people who don't know much maths, and that's probably what went wrong. But the Bible, thousands and thousands of manuscripts tell us that we've got the real thing. Okay? So when we talk about the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, of which Paul is probably talking more here because the New Testament hadn't fully been compiled, are very, very, very well attested. And the New Testament is miraculous in the way that it's been preserved. Occasionally you get some guy come on the telly and say, look, I found this, this scroll in a hole somewhere and whatever, and it might mean this. And when you actually look at it, it never does. Okay, there was a guy in the Daily Express today. I don't get the Daily Express, but somehow their news feeds come my way. Um, and apparently he's, he's worked out that because in Revelation a mountain gets thrown into the sea, that must be an asteroid. You see? So it's like, really? Maybe. But that's what happens. People will speculate. People will deceive. Or they will do this. They will be always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. But if you do read the Bible, and you don't read the Daily Telegraph, well, you can read the Daily Telegraph, it's fine, but uh, don't believe everything they say about weather. If you do read the Bible, and you read it through, you find it hangs together amazingly well. That bit that was translated 300 years BC matches with this modern bit. But here's the problem. People read the Bible and say, it will make me wise. And they read the Proverbs and they tell you how to deal with people. And they read the Psalms and they tell you how to praise. And they read the Ten Commandments and they say, well, we'll live like that. And as long as we're like that, we're all good. No problem. Problem. You can't actually succeed in living like that. What the law does is set a standard. 
that will fail. I guarantee you now, if I'm looking at anybody in the room who made a New Year's resolution last year, most of you didn't keep it. That's only one. She said, one rule for last year, did you keep it? We can't meet our own standards. We certainly can't meet God's standards because what God says is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength and love your neighbour as yourself. And, and I've failed already. So you can be wise, but what the wisdom will tell you is you are in trouble. But then it says, it make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And this is what the Pharisees and others were missing. They didn't get what had happened. So in John chapter 1, verse 17, we read that the law came through Moses. Now I'm going to flick through a couple of bits of John, so if you want to turn to John, it might be a good time to. The law came through Moses. Is that right? John 1, 17. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one who but the one and only Son has made him known. But take a look at what Jesus says to these Pharisees. And remember that, that he, he spoke to the Pharisees. He only dealt with the Sadducees once because they were just so completely different. But the reason he, he, he went for these guys was because these guys were the guys who thought they got it right. These guys were the guys who thought, we understand the Scriptures... We understand what we should do. We've got rules. We've got regulations. If we do these things, we are going to please God. And he said, you've completely missed it. This is what he says in John 5, 45. Do not think I will accuse you before the Father. He's speaking to the Pharisees. Your accuser is Moses on whom your hopes have set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he spoke about me. But since you don't believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? So these people are challenging Jesus, and he is saying to them, I'm not going to accuse you, but Moses, who you read, is because he pointed forward to me. If you go back a little bit in verse 39, it says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. So they were like partway through that verse we read, you know, they're going to make you wise unto salvation. But, these are the very scriptures that testify about me. But you refuse to come to me to have life. What is a person who doesn't know Christ and who hasn't got faith in Christ like? They're like a drowning man. If you stand next to the drowning man and say, look, let me tell you how to swim properly while they're drowning, it isn't going to help them. 
if you tell them to thrash more, it's not going to help them. If they say, no, it's okay, I, I'm, I'm fine, they're wrong, they are going to drown. They will die unless you rescue them. The only way that they can be saved is if somebody reaches out their hand and pulls them out. Uh, uh, quite a long time ago, when I was um, a much younger teacher, I went on a, an away weekend with uh, a bunch of kids from our school in a place called Netherswell Manor. And we had all kinds of daft Olympic Games things to do with maths. Um, but we did actually have a swimming race. And I was standing by the side of the pool, and I looked down, and this lad was like... And, and you could see he hadn't got the ability to progress. Now, I didn't realise the depth of the water, but I put my wallet out because you didn't have mobile phones to worry about in those days, and I jumped in and I lifted him out because I, I really thought he was in trouble. Now, he may or may not have been in trouble because he said afterwards, I'm, I'm sure I was fine. Maybe he was. Um, but I did it because you don't wait, do you, for somebody to go under before you pick them out. And it occurred to me that sometimes we're a bit like that boy in the sense that he, kept, he said a, a, a while afterwards, after he'd recovered, I, I would have been all right. And we can do that. We can say, well, you know, I, I, I did come to Jesus, but I would have been all right, really. I'm quite a good person. And we forget what he's done for us. But these Pharisees hadn't even got as far as realising who he is. The scripture says that you... are saved through faith in Jesus. You have to call to him. He rescues you. That's the way it works. There is no other way. John 7, 19. Still on the same thing. Jesus says from verse 16 actually, my teaching is not my own, it comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. Look at me, haven't I got some brilliant ideas? But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There's nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why are you trying to kill me? Who's trying to kill you, they said. Well, Jesus said, I did one miracle, and you're all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, although it didn't come from Moses, it came from the patriarchs, you circumcised a boy on the Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body? Because that was the argument they were having. Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. So if you get so hung up on the law that you miss the point, what Jesus is saying there is, I've just healed somebody and you're having a go at me? And you're using Moses, who points to me, to tell you that? You've got it so wrong. But that does happen. People come into churches and they invent traditions 
and they put them in place and suddenly if you know so you know again a, a few years ago i think in in several places i probably couldn't have stood here without a proper suit and tile because what surely you know and i was listening to um a, a video about some of the early uh scripture in songs type type um, musicians, some of whom were saved from being hippies. So some of them were Vietnam vets, some of them were from um, all kinds of different backgrounds, and they were saved, and they started to sing songs and, and, and reach out to people and do things and say to these people, this thing we've been looking for, it's Jesus. And there was one situation where a particular group of them came to a convention where everybody was in the suits and the ties and everything else. And initially, the guy running it said, I'm not letting you in because you're not dressed proper. And on about the second or third day of the convention, he relented and he said, well, go in and sing one song. And these people were initially shocked because the guys standing at the front weren't dressed like them, but then amazed when they, they told their story and sung their song of God's redemption of them. And they realized two things. One, this lot realized, as a wave went across the, the, the congregation, that they had been wrong to reject the people who didn't look like them on the stage. But the guys on the stage actually realized that they'd been wrong to think that this lot couldn't understand God's salvation. And that can happen. You can end up in a different building from somebody else and not understand that you are actually preaching the same gospel if you go to different countries there are different traditions i think in one country it might be romania they would they would actually be very unhappy if you wore a tie on the platform because you'd be showing off so it's the opposite but what they're really doing is they're looking on the outside what's important is that i'm a saved sinner offering you the opportunity to know the same saviour and whether I'm, obviously I'm not going to be dressed completely inappropriately, but whether I'm dressed one way or another, that isn't the issue. The issue is, am I telling you the truth? Where am I getting that truth from? Here. You can look it up for yourself. Jesus also says that it's those who believe in him that will have eternal life. He says it several times in John's Gospel. And he says you must be born again to Nicodemus in chapter 3, of course. Well, look, what does Paul tell Timothy in 2 Timothy? He tells him, first of all, you know the fruits of the people who've taught you, your parents, your grandparents, me, you've worked with me, you've seen what I'm about, and you know that these other people who are selling up something bit glitzier, a bit different, who are saying, you know, look, it doesn't have to be difficult to follow Jesus, does it? You, you could just, like, you know, relax, and it'll be fine. But actually, they're looking for this, or they're looking for that, and they're looking to say, I'm successful because I've got good teeth. And, and you know, some preachers spend a lot of money on their teeth. I don't, sorry. Um, I do go to the dentist, though, so I'm not going to be a bad example to your kids. They're the kind that worm their way in and gain control. And they, they, they're the kind who turn out to be without love, although with a form of godliness and denying its power. 
So where does real godliness come from? Well, it says, doesn't it? You've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, if I stop there, you'd think, okay, so what you've said is the Scriptures tell us about Jesus, but do we have to do what they say? So is is Psalm 118 gone? How can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word? No, it's not. But here's the thing. How can you keep your way pure is not the same thing as how can you make yourself pure. I can't make myself pure. I can't make myself acceptable to God. I'm a drowning man. I need to reach out to Jesus. And because the scriptures point to Jesus as the only way to God, as the one who takes my sin, I can do that. I can reach out and I can be saved. But once I'm saved, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful. What for? To teach me, to rebuke me, to correct me, to train me in righteousness so that I can be equipped to serve my saviour. It's that way round. If you go into the Bible as a manual for becoming the perfect person, like the ultimate self-help guide, you've missed the main point, that it is about our saviour, Jesus, who has called people to him so that they can be a people who serve him and who enjoy him and who love him and who... Yes, praise him now and even more so in heaven. We only see glimpses of what we will know when he comes back. We are living in times when the gospel is available and the only reason the Lord hasn't sent Jesus back, who's currently seated at his right hand, interceding on our behalf, is because he wants everyone that he wants to save to be saved and our job is to tell them and to live our lives in honour of him. So we don't just go, okay, well, I put my faith in Jesus, so I can go home now. We say, okay, now I want to take seriously how I live my life because I've got his name on me. And how do I do that? Through the scriptures, through being taught how to do it through them. But remembering that they set a standard that I will never meet on this earth. Not ever. But as I strive to, as I look at them, as I read them, as I am changed by them, I'm becoming more like him. And whenever I start to be quite good, I have to remember that I'm good by the grace of God. And when I fail, I have to remember that I am being redeemed from my sin by the grace of God through faith in Christ. The scriptures are incredibly important because they reveal Christ and they help Christians to learn how to live a life which honours God. But you have to start with the scriptures tell you about Jesus, God's Redeemer. From Genesis, where he promises the seed that will crush the serpent, through to the glorious end when he comes again. The scriptures tell us about how Jesus, the word of God, who was with God in the beginning because he is God, 
who made us, who creates us, who upholds this amazing place that we live, is bringing it to perfection. And one day, we will be transformed when he comes again, provided we don't pretend that we can do it ourselves. And we recognize that salvation comes from God in Jesus Christ. The scripture makes you wise for salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just pray and then we'll sing our final song. Father God, we recognize that we've heard so many times different descriptions of how Jesus walked the world, his perfection, the way that he amazed with the way that he spoke. Lord, we recognize that equally we've heard so many people uh, make up so many things that we often are confused. Help us to return to your word. Help us to read your word. Help us to understand who Jesus really is and to recall that day when we were saved. Oh Lord, make today the day that we put our faith in you. Lord, we thank you that it is not what we've done that makes us acceptable to you. It is what you have done in Christ and it is through faith in Christ that we enter into that glorious truth that we are saved by you. Lord, we just pray that we can live our lives in the light of that and that the joy that we have, even in persecution and pressure at times, will be enough along with our knowledge of the scriptures to point others to Jesus too. Lord, we thank you that salvation belongs to you and yet you've shared it with us. Amen.